0: Quitters never give up. <laughs> uh. you got these, yeah. right? Have you ever had a dream? Because oh, I didn't no. give up, being. You that just you gave you the answer. You are... you yeah. you... Twitters never you give up. Do... Twitters you never rate, give up. Rate, you are you the do... words so that came rate, out of his mouth. Got talk to about Embarrassed or humiliated or ashamed. He was proud like, of himself. Don't tell me the American dream I'm
1: not so lucky that my mind
0: drifted as well. Don't tell me the American dream is dead.
2: What's up, party people? I'm Christopher Rosales. With me, as always, is Jennifer Sunshine. What it do, Jen?
1: What to do. What to do, baby boo.
2: We got Edwin Buckshot Miller. What's up, Edwin? Howdy, home. And we got the one and only Lindsay a in her car. Popo's out, Lindsay.
3: Hey! Popo's out.
2: <laughs> we have a wonderful show for you today because we have an awesome guest. If you lived in Los Angeles in the early 90s and had great taste in music, then you knew about a show called Request Video. Request Video aired from 1989 to 1992 on Channel 56, KDOC. And not only did they play all the music videos that you wanted to hear and see by request, They also did some of the best interviews and live performances with the most influential bands of the early 90s. Bands and artists like Nirvana, NWA, Morrissey, Nine Inch Nails, George Clinton, The Pixies, Ice-T, Social Distortion, Soundgarden, The Ramones, No Doubt, and many, many, many more. Our guest today was the co-producer and host of Request Video, Gia DeSantis. Welcome, Gia.
4: Hey, hi, thank you for having me. Oh, Sounds so impressive on paper and when you read it out. So <laughs> you are impressive. Is. Well, thank you. And I, I think this is like the most important thing for me to start with besides like, thank you and I'm honored, is I am in no way related to the governor of Florida. That is, um, that is really key for me to start any conversation with that at this point. Well, thank you for clarifying.
2: Yes, we were hoping Yeah, His video show was terrible. I put together a quick little montage of request video to get started.
0: The intro goes something like this. Everybody ready? All right. One, two,
4: three, four. Take it to the Limit. Video, I'm Gia and and last week television. I got <laughs> hit
0: your heart out, MTV, the Ramones right, on request a, video. I want to be sedated. I want to be sedated. Right, me too. Hello? Yeah, hello? Hi
1: who's
4: this? Moses. Moses, how's it going? Fine, you? Really good. Where are you calling from? Cool. You got a party going on there, huh?
2: Yeah, way.
4: Yeah. <laughs> How many people are there? That sounds I don't know, like about ten. That's very cool. It up! Boy, could I tell you stories if you were a fly on the wall?
1: Right. You know that intro reminds me. If you take that time. I mean, who would have better stories than like K Rock and you? That time, the people you saw, the things that were happening. Yes. I mean, really, who could match you? Probably no one.
4: Well, that yeah, Kevin and Bean clearly.
1: Well, they were um, on your and, show. Yeah,
4: just about anybody uh, at the radio station, and was so lucky to be able to do both things and to be able to transition from um, KDOC, well, from Request Video over to K Rock, and that is. It's all because of Bean and John Frost. So I owe all of that to oh, them. wow. But um, yeah, we got to, there was a lot that happened while videos were playing and commercials um, you know, were playing and, and prior to going on the air with those guests that was, yeah, there, there are a lot of stories. It was, it's very much like I could tell you stories if you were a fly on the wall. It was, yeah, it was a, it was a thing. So how did What's it up? get started in the late 80s? The station, we were actually producing, um, doing the actual production for Richard Blade's show. He had moved the actual production of Video 1 to KDOC. So we were doing the stuff at the studios. And the station, um, you know, he they figured out they were paying an entire crew to do somebody else's music video show. And it was fun. Like, I loved it. And I, that's how you know we were meeting a lot of artists and kind of getting the hang of this and we'd worked on another kind of short lived music show called video zoo that was from these um two guys Barry Fidel and another Barry whose last name I can't really remember I feel bad um and they had a show called video zoo and so John Faulkner and I had worked on these shows and When the station realized it would be less expensive for them to produce their own music video show because the content was mostly, you know, free from the record labels to get the videos, they decided, you know, let's just do this. And, you know, I I felt really bad, honestly, because I loved Richard and I loved working with him and with his producer, Peter. Um, But they came to us, to John and me, because we were like the big music heads and said, look, we're going to do this. This is the name of the show. And we hated the name of the show from the day they gave it to us until the day we went off the air. Um, But, you know, we were employees and, you know, here's the format. Now go make this thing happen. And it just, you know, it was kind of seamless from them telling us you have to do this And you guys are in charge. And um, so it started off actually in 88. We were working with different radio stations, DJs from all over Los Angeles. And we had cross promotion, which was smart of us, I have to say. Shockingly, it was smart of us. Um, so we would get that cross promotion cause they would host a week of shows and then they would talk about it on the air and then people would tune in. And then it was actually a poor man who came along and said, let's do this, you know, live every day. Let's essentially do like a, a you know, a, a radio show on the air, take calls. And that's when like the mayhem came. He is synonymous with mayhem.
2: So he started off as the host or you started off as the host?
4: Um, poor Man, well, we had the, the rotating schedule of hosts from stations, everybody from like KISS FM to, um, you know, canny and and obviously K-Rock and stuff. But um, the first show, the first host when it was live every day was Poor Man. And then I took over from there, reluctantly. Who no reluctantly? was on from KISS? We had God. It was at Hollywood Hamilton,
1: um,
4: right? And then there it was. It was weird because it was like Hollywood Hamilton. Who we ended up having a few times, Um, and then there was uh, God. I can't remember who the first guy was, but he was you know very much like I'm big announcer man kind of thing. It was just it. It was. It was was Ron
1: O'Brien, perhaps. Pardon me. Ron O'Brien.
4: Was not no. We never had Ron O'Brien. It was like a a Glen or or it was something, and I can't think of what his name is. It's terrible. I've got I have it in my notes somewhere, but yeah.
1: Oh, wow, that's a flashback to hear those names.
4: Yeah.
2: Wow. Yeah i I remember watching the show. I, I don't remember Kiss FM being on there at all. That was
4: that crazy. Was, it was '88.
2: So. Selective memory.
4: It was. It was. <laughs> you were probably young. <laughs>
1: Oh, I beat all you guys when it comes to age. Don't worry about that. <laughs>
3: That's very true.
1: I will bury you when it comes to old age. He's uh, <laughs> our
3: resident boomer.
1: <laughs> Tell us about uh, working with John Frost. That guy is amazing. People don't know yeah. him as much today. Oh, we go back to the early days of Kevin and being his stuff is just mind-blowingly good.
4: I think that really he is the standard for so many other radio imaging people across the country. When he walks into a room and there are other imaging people there, like the genuflecting begins immediately. He just he created a a, a sound and a, a a way of doing things that was unlike anything any other radio station was doing. He he created an image for K Rock that is. I mean, everybody imitates it now, right? But that's just his thing. And he is still a very dear friend, remains just one of the most hilarious people I have ever known in my life. I he, He's a gift.
1: Yeah, yeah you're right. Because I listened to Kevin and Bean back in the early, early days. John Frost was as big on K-Rock as any DJ, any musician. His sound, his commercials, what he did. You're totally yeah. right. He was a total genius.
4: Yeah, he's and, and and still is. He's he does imaging. He has a thing called frostbites. So he still does imaging for stations all over the country. His um so luckily people still get to hear his his genius. Do you guys know that the very first time Kevin and Bean were ever on TV it was on request video? All right.
2: That's yeah. the very first place I saw them.
4: Yeah. Do you yeah. remember Bean's 30th birthday when we brought in a coffin for him?
2: No, I don't. Yeah, we had a coffin. Wow. Gonna be a
4: big coffin. It was a very, come? it was a very large coffin. And um, Kevin also, uh, he was, uh, well, they were banned from the station. We were able to bring them on um, the second to the last show, but yes, they were banned because our sweet Kevin um, maybe made a joke about wanting to sleep with Pat Boone's daughter. <laughs> oh, wait, my. Kevin was
1: inappropriate. I, wait, come on.
4: I know, right?
2: And Pat Boone owned the station, right?
4: It was one of three owners. It was Pat Boone, a regional director for the CIA, and an ultra, ultra conservative man named Calvin Brack. So it was only natural they had Wally George and then, you oh know. my Benedict God, Wally
2: George. Hunk rock <laughs> got
4: away with, you know, the lunatics were had taken over the asylum for an hour every day and it was us.
2: And yeah, it was kind of like um an early Fox News at that time, huh?
4: Oh god. Yeah. <laughs> well,
1: Wally George. They used to mock him endlessly on Kevin and Bean back then. Well, he was a nut even for nuts.
4: He was But you know what? I will tell you guys, and I am no Wally apologist for, you know, the political part of it. But he was it, it was so much of it was was show for sure. He he was uh I think was in a bit of disbelief for what it was that he was getting away with too. And it was his real hair, by the way. Wow! <laughs> hey,
1: quick note, his daughter, Rebecca de Mornay, right?
4: Yep. Mm-hmm. And what's hilarious is I was, um, I have a daughter who is the same age as Rebecca's daughter. And I was on a college tour several years ago with my daughter in Canada. Um, and I kept looking at this woman's shoes or she had a pair of boots on. I just kept thinking, gosh, she has the greatest boots I've ever seen. I really need those. And I was watching her shoes through the whole campus tour. And finally, toward the end of it, I looked up and I realized it was Rebecca Mornay. And I was like, finally, went up to her I was like, hi, my name is Gia. And I worked with Wally and she stopped dead in her tracks. And I was like, I just don't, I don't, uh, you know, I I didn't agree with his politics or anything, but I, yeah, I worked with Wally. I was an interim producer on that show and she had so many questions. And it was, yeah, it was pretty funny. So can I get your number? And bet she never called me. Damn it. Cause I have questions about Leonard Cohen. I wanted to ask Leonard Cohen and Rebecca Del Mornay were, um, were a couple. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Can you imagine Wally George being Leonard Cohen's father-in-law?
2: I, can, I cannot imagine those Thanksgivings.
1: <laughs> Tell the kids what KDOC was and what UHF was.
4: Um, you, yeah, UHF were the numbers... Above Channel Thirteen back in the day, um, and the, so the signal was just weaker. And it's funny because people will say, "Oh yeah, you and your uh, public access TV show," and like the hair stands up on the, the back of my neck. Like we are not public access. Um, so it was you know broadcast television. Something it was you know free to get us with rabbit ears, but you couldn't necessarily um, get a super strong signal. All the time, and so KDOC stood for Dynamic Orange County, and of course everything with the K west of the Mississippi. And the station was really known for Wally George. That's what put it on the map. And then we had our, uh, you know, broadcasting was you know that show and. Um, you know, news programs. So not a lot of original programming beyond Wally and what we were doing. Um, news and and you know just a couple of public affairs things. But we did pr- a lot of production for outside companies and um, you know commercials and stuff. In fact, when <laughs> the station itself and a ton of reruns. Like if you wanted to watch Dark Shadows or Mannix or um or uh. God, I don't know. A lot of Beverly Hillbillies and Green Acres, stuff like that. And like the, the people from those shows would come through the station. Were you
1: sometimes. the guys that did? You had like a block of cartoons like Kimba, Speed Racer. Was that you?
4: That Sadly, it was not. Oh, that I, I, yeah, that was, that was somebody else. It was, it was kooky. But because we did production for other. People, you could walk into the studio some days. With, you know, if you hadn't checked with the schedule for the next day, it was going to be or later on in the week, you would just walk in and you would kind of figure out what was happening for your day by seeing what was set up in the studio. So I walked in one day and um, there was a lot of really small furniture there. So my thought was, oh, we're shooting like we must be shooting a commercial in the studio today for like a children's furniture store and. I walked down the hall and there were little people all over, all over the studio, all over the station, walking around. And Billy Barty was there and he had a TV show called short ribs, ribs spelled with two B's because Billy Barty. And he did a, uh, and it was a variety show and it was, um, it was unbelievable. And the, uh, their premise was, it was all little people, but like the token tall person who was there. And so they would do song, dance, comedy sketches, Uh, you know, clearly set up to be the next SNL. And so I ended up working on this show with Billy Barty um, at the studio. And I remember they came in to me, uh, our head of production came in to me and told me I had to play a Billy Barty video on the show, on Request Video. And his whole music video was him standing at the bottom. And and I'm pretty sure it was at the Secret Stairs in, in Silver Lake. Um, and he was at the bottom of this staircase and for the whole four minutes or three and a half minutes for the music video, it was all about him conquering the staircase. So it took him three and a half minutes to climb the staircase. And that was, that was the video. And there, I think there are like two videos or two shows that are, you can find on YouTube. And I, I recommend it, um, <laughs> to anyone <laughs> Who wants a sense of what uh you know it was like to work in an independent TV station in Orange County who was you know desperate to get some money for supplementing the lack of income from the commercial sales?
1: Okay, Dang. affiliates, we're only talking about Billy Barty from now on.
2: Right. <laughs> we' strapping the rest
1: of the show. That's an amazing story, man. <laughs> I, Wait, how were Kevin and B not at that shoot? You know they love little people.
4: Well, I I'm really sad that they did uh that they'd been banned from the station because Kevin wanted to bonk Debbie Debbie Boone.
1: <laughs> Hall of Fame, Kevin! <laughs> Standing, oh, o. Fame. Standing O! Standing <laughs> O! Um oh, Man, that that is instantly the best story I've ever heard. Thank you.
2: <laughs> I'm expecting all these Nine Inch Nails and uh, NWA stories. And we get a Billy Barty. I love it. That's awesome. Oh, they can't compete you never with know Billy Barty. today. Yeah. So I remember growing up and th- at the show, if, if I heard it on K-Rock or if I heard it on Request Video first, it was a kind of a toss up. You know, I could it, it just seemed like you guys were so important to music development back in the 90s. Now, these bands weren't really popular when you had them on. How, did, did you get a sense of how big they would be when they were on the show?
4: Some artists were huge, right? Like, you, you know, Joe Ramone is obviously a you know, Pet Shop Boys, Pesh Mode. Obviously, you've got these huge bands. And Nine Inch Nails is a, probably a, a fantastic example or even Nirvana. Like when I sat down with Nirvana, we were marveling that they'd sold 250,000 records, and wow. you're sitting there just like, oh my God, can you believe you've already sold 250,000 records? Like who knew that it was going to become what it became or, or sitting with Soundgarden and, and doing those things. And with, with Trent and company, um, you know, they had just started, they had just come off of like a, a sort of a smaller label and we're eking into a, you know, a larger arena. Um, And we were on the precipice of that. And what was interesting for us, as far as our programming went and, and um, the guy who was my partner at the time, John Faulkner, who at the beginning was doing the bulk of the programming for the show. And, you know, we would, so, you know, the show was, it was probably about 60% requests because how would you guys know about some of the new music we were getting in if we didn't play it for you and then allow you the opportunity to see what it was you perhaps wanted to request in the future? Um when we first start off, because we we're playing bands that were um, sort of aligned with some of those rotating hosts that we had, for instance, from Kiss FM or from um, you know Lightning One Hundred or or not Lightning One Hundred, that's a, a friggin' Nashville station, but um, oh, you know or AC. Okay, we'll run with that. So we would you know steer some of our programming toward what it was that those radio stations were playing and but there had been more of a pop lean to it well as music was shifting and because there was a huge shift between 88 and 92 um, our sales staff and like our management was kind of freaking out we weren't playing pop music anymore but they were not understanding that if you looked at the billboard charts which i actually eventually ended up bringing into them that that was what became pop music and, you know, you were seeing Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and Nine Inch Nails on the charts and L7. Um, And so it was at the, you know, right, right at that tipping point of these bands becoming huge. And I think that if we'd been able to continue on, then we, we could have done even more really cool, great things with the live performances and whatnot
2: were there any bands that you wanted to get on that you didn't get a chance to?
4: I was fascinated with getting Courtney on. Um I just thought that that would be interesting, not for many reasons other than it would have been interesting because everybody was, you know, talking about her. We had, Cause we had so many huge artists. I would have loved to have had NWA back when, when I was hosting, but you know, so many things changed there. I, I just, I feel really good about who we had on Metallica. I would like to have Metallica on for the like, you know, hard rock guys. Oh, well, I would love to have Ian Mackay of Fugazi. That would have been really, really cool. So those those artists, but you know, some of them were backies. That wasn't, and that was, you know, Fugazi was not going to be doing a regional music video show, no matter what city it was in. Yeah. I'm curious,
1: what was the uh, the call screening system like? Was it just wide open? You never know what kind of nut was going to call in and what they were going to
4: ask. Huntington Henry was our call screener most of the time they so we had a you know a dedicated line for people coming in and here was the stupid thing on our behalf is we didn't have a delay you know everybody for radio and tv you've got a seven second delay and we did not have a delay but the people who were calling in usually did not know that we would just have to trust that the people who told Henry um, what they were going to talk about, that they were going to hold true to that. Of course, that didn't always happen. And I didn't usually know what the caller was going to ask, were going to say. So it was usually a surprise to me and to the, um, and to the, the guests, but you know, every so often, like they knew, like Dweezil Zappa would call in with different voices. And and so, you know, I'd hear something and it wouldn't sound quite right. I would just be like, oh, my God, it's Dweezil. So that kind of stuff. By the way, speaking of Huntington Henry and answering the phones and Zappas, um, I was at lunch one day with Moon Zappa and Joe Escalante from the Vandals. And Henry, like, Henry is such an awesome cat but he he would come in to the studio and he'd like grab my plate right with food or something on it and be like hey can I you know get that paper plate you know somebody just called in they want me to send the your crumbs to them and it's like No, you can't do that. So he came in to me one day and said, oh, someone wants me to like send, you know, your hair to them. And please don't do that. I just, you know, I don't want that. So I, I had lunch and I tell Moon Zappa this. And she like slams her hands down on the table. She's like, do not ever send your hair to someone. They're going to make voodoo dolls of you. It could be reverse voodoo. And anyway, so I, Henry would try to send like my gum wrappers in and crumbs in my hair. And that stuff from collars was fucking weird. So that's why
1: I never got your hair. Damn that, Henry. Exactly.
4: (laughs) Because I know about your voodoo. Yeah. Oh, my gosh.
1: Wow, that I was is trying creepy. to get Devo videos played on the show. It's going to make a <laughs> Devo doll.
3: Are you not men? I wasn't. I was actually going to ask on the line of you if there were any bands that you thought, like, oh, they're never going to make it and then surprised you or the other way around. And, like, you were like, these are going to be stars. And then <sighs> they just kind of failed.
4: There was a band that I thought should have been a lot bigger than they were. And it was at this band on American recordings, American records um, who were deaf American at the time called Bark Market, who were really good. And that didn't go anywhere. That was really disappointing to me. And another band that I was actually really closely involved with that I thought would be bigger, um, School of Fish. And they were amazing excuse me amazing songwriters amazing musicians um and their second record which was excellent came out the same week as radiohead's first album or yeah and i was actually breaking a capital at the time and but when they came that was the debut of you know their video and they did a live performance and stuff and they were just they put on magnificent shows and um you know, the songs were good and I think that they should have been a whole lot bigger. In fact, Howard Stern, like five years ago, played three strange days on his show. And it was like, you know, hear this guitar riff. And he went on about it and how great it was. Like, this is my new favorite band. And then I found out the lead singer died, so I can't promote this band. And it was, you know, it was this sort of sad, tragic thing that they got lost in this mix of, of like Radiohead stuff.
1: Did you ever have a a band come in or a performer that was just a disaster they were messed up they wouldn't listen to you they were difficult and oh, yeah. you don't have to say who it was but just tell us some stories about that
4: oh yeah I um well the thing about being a woman on live tv and bands who think they're cute and then they're high too um is that they like to stare at boobs so I would kick them off um so that was, was just like you know up here guys and so actually one band I don't I don't mind talking about them. um Johnny Monster and the Nightmares was lived up to his name um so that's how they you know started off in the first segment and so I told them when I cut the segment really short and I told them to leave I'm like why it's like well because yeah, you, know, you clearly think I'm an idiot. So now you don't get to say and um, so they begged to stay. And then they had to leave. And um, so that was awful. There was a woman and she just kept telling me how she was going to kick my ass. Um, so, and then she friended me on Facebook, but, and I guarantee you, she was so high. She never, remembered that because then she wouldn't have sent me the friend request on Facebook. But she was awful. And then some other woman who just kept saying over and over to me again, like, you know, my song is about being a bitch, being in total control of herself, unlike you. when she was just like, you know, in my face. She was horrible. Um that was bad. Jesus and Mary Chain were a bit of a a nightmare, but it ended up being great. They were just—they're notoriously difficult to um, uh, interview, anyway. Um, I, I would say just about my most difficult interview, besides the bands. What would happen is the bands that thought they were bigger than they really were—they um, were generally worse off. Like the professionals were really professional. The people who had made it—they were—they were awesome. Um, but Lou Reed, I did my Lou Reed interview, the Ninth LA riots broke out at the Great Theater. And that was difficult on every single level. Just, you know, everything from getting to the venue, because we did it at the Greek, to the conversation. And of course it was a very political conversation, which doesn't scare me, but I worked for a very, you know, conservative television station at the time. And he was in a foul mood to begin with. That was, that was awful. And I almost can't believe we aired that interview.
3: It's, It's kind of great to hear that you were able to make those like executive decisions and advocate for yourself, like as a woman, you know, hearing everything that goes
4: on in entertainment now you know, I don't know how, honestly, sometimes I just, um, I think that there had been enough of this, I guess this part gets a little bit deep and it's not as funny is that by the time those things came along, like the really difficult stuff came along, um, I had dealt with a couple of stalkers and it was really bad, like really seriously scary bad. And, I just, I think I just had a wall to stand up for myself. But at first I was just like, Oh, you know, please like me. And, you know, I'm going to dress like downtown Julie Brown this week because maybe that's what I'm supposed to do. And so when I was trying to, to be liked, that was, that, that was where my failings were for sure. But when I had to go up against some, you know, kind of literally fight for my existence, it was, it, it, it gave me some gravitas
1: Were you competing with MTV at this time?
4: Yes. Or Was MTV
1: already out of the music video game?
4: No, no, no. We were up against MTV, and during that one hour that we were on every day, by the time um, you know we were doing the show live, um, you know, we'd been on the air for a few a few years, and and definitely during you know my tenure, we were beating MTV for that hour that we were on in the Los Angeles market.
2: I remember growing up. I started watching the show because I didn't have MTV. And then all my friends that had MTV started watching the show because I got them into the show. Like, you you have to listen to these bands. And that was, it was just at one point, nobody was watching. In LA, nobody was watching MTV. Everybody was watching request video.
1: Yeah, Uh, I remember that too. That was before cable was ubiquitous. And, you know, if you didn't have MTV, it'd say, hey, forget that. Look at this over here. And it was local, which made it better.
4: Well, and we played stuff that MTV was never going to touch because our rigorous uh, screening standards (laughs) were perhaps less rigorous than they should have been. I've been going through some old shows lately. We just, you know, the TV station threw everything away. And if it weren't for fans and, uh, you know, a couple of industrious people who, you know, took some stuff, we would have lost a lot of things. Um, I had, you know, some stuff, just a few dozen tapes um it was it was kind of crazy but i've i've looked at some of the old videos and i cannot believe what we put on the air and got away with putting on the air not just what we were doing as you know hosts and guests but the actual videos themselves it was it's remarkable the imagery is just it's shocking um where can you find old shows um oh, well, they had been on YouTube. Um, and I know that a lot of them copyright stuff that had been taken down. Um, but I, you know, I'm working, I'm working on a project that will hopefully get some of this stuff out, uh, for more people to see, but there are a couple of things that, you know, that are still out there that just show up here and there. And, um, yeah, so they're they're rare. What I really, really, really need, because I, I haven't seen it and I can't find it anywhere is the NWA show. And that was with Swedish Eagle. I cannot find a copy of that anywhere. So if anybody has one, You're putting it out there in the universe. Yeah, yes, exactly.
1: <laughs> Did you ever happen to talk or meet with anyone from MTV, like the VJs or executives? Did you ever cross paths? Was there a friendly rivalry?
4: Oh, um, I, well, I wouldn't say there was friendly rivalry so much, but it—it it, you know certainly friendly because like Louis Largent had hosted Request Video, that was first time he'd done TV, and you know because we had such a close relationship with K Rock, like Andy Schoen had left K Rock and went to MTV, and you know so we had that connection. I knew Kennedy. Um, So the executives at MTV, there was a woman um, who was a producer for the West Coast who'd actually interviewed me to to be a VJ. I didn't get the gig, surprise, Um, but, uh, you know, the conversation was had, but as far as, you know, all of that went. I actually ended up working with a lot of those people because when I went to work at a record label, worked at Capital, and I did video promotion. So I worked closely with a, a lot of people over there.
2: It, it seemed like um, MTV stole a lot of the format, too, because they had Total Request Live after you guys, and then...
4: It, it was several years after, and I had someone who was a um, music video promotion person at a major label, a different label, tell me that... Um, And I don't know that this is true, but say, you know, they completely ripped off Request Video's uh, format to create TRL and that he said they knew, you know, they always knew what Request Video did in LA up against MTV for the hour, whether that's true or not, I have no idea. I'm just going to go around, you know, for my whole life, believing it's the case. Cause it makes my head big, but the, um, but I spoke to Rick Krim, who is, uh, he was at VH one and he was a talent guy at, um, MTV. And he was like, yeah, it was so many years later. I don't know. Or vh one. He said, I, I don't know that that's necessarily the case, but Who knows? I mean, Andy was there, right? And Carson had taken my locker at K-Rock because when I left K-Rock, that's Carson took my spot there. So it's not like it was an entirely foreign concept, but it might be a stretch.
2: Well, and not only that, but I think like the Unplugged shows kind of felt that way too because they didn't really have live performances on MTV until, until that, right?
4: oh they did they yeah the mtv had bands would that would play it was just was a it was kind of a a different format
2: yeah again i didn't have mtv sorry right
4: (laughs) (laughs) you are so forgiven but we were you know again like i we were just so lucky to be positioned where we were and you know between you, you just you know just down the five freeway so if you're an orange county band or la we're I was talking to Peter Murphy's manager way back when and somebody had asked him like, what makes you want to do this performance, you know, with this little TV station. And he said, well, I could go to Virgin Megastore and do an in-store there and have a thousand people show up, or I could do it here and have 75,000 people watch. So why wouldn't I do, you know, both, but this is, like I'm going to reach way more people. We're going to sell more records this way. So it was just those, those live performances were effective for the artists as well as a ton of fun for us. And it was such an intimate setting for anybody who came to the studio and they were able to be a part of that.
2: Yeah. But I think also the request factor too, because I don't see that in music today where people request anything new. No. Yeah.
4: It it was, it, you know, it couldn't be replicated because everything is so on demand um, you, know, you can do like a Reddit AMA and ask your favorite artist something, but you're not having a conversation with them and the back and forth and watching their you know physical interaction with a um, you know a studio audience there moaning at your question because you asked them how they got the name of the band or something like there was just a, a or cheering on your question because of you know something funny that happened. It 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 was it was truly a community of people doing this, this thing. And we were doing it for our peers. It was fun. Like that, that was a fun, it was, could be very stressful, but it was so much fun.
1: This was the time MTV was doing things like the spring break type deals, you know, parties. Did you guys ever, or you probably started that and they ripped it off. Did you do any type (laughs) of get togethers, you know, big events, remotes, anything like that? Or was it all studio work?
4: Um, well, we did some remotes, but we I don't remember us doing any live remotes, but we would tell people, actually, I want to say we did do one live remote just at the beach. And that was a poor man thing because, you know, he had his bikini girls kind of thing, which was hell for me because that was also you know, going back to the point of just, you know, being you know a woman who was advocating, like, you know, trying to be taken seriously when you have practically naked people running through the sales offices and you know trying to keep wally in his cage kind of thing during those moments you know, that was kind of wild so we d- we did some remotes where people showed up there but a lot of times we would just do stuff in our parking lot um, right side right outside the studio doors so we did like you know skate contests and you know, tried to break world records sticking people into a you know van stuff which i would forgotten about i blissfully put that on my mind. So we didn't do a ton of live remotes and we didn't do anything um too crazy um on on that things. But God, could you imagine if we'd put poor man at a, you know, in charge at a house full of people with rock stars and drug addicts and a bunch of underage people? No, that would have been very, very bad. No. I wanted to man in
1: charge of my trash cans, so <laughs> <laughs>
4: <No>. <laughs> which was essentially his car. <laughs> oh my, yeah.
1: Did you have any any experience with poor man being erratic like Kevin and Bean did? Because he must uh, have been in his prime at this time.
4: But he had me uh, reduced to tears on an almost out of fr- tears of frustration on a near daily basis. He was. Um, it, it was just it was a lot of frustration. Um, and actually how I ended up hosting the show was he called one day and it was really late in the morning. So, you know, the show would, I think the show was going on at four o'clock that day and he called, you know, probably 11 o'clock, 1130 and said, um, hey, they're changing my shift at K-Rock. I'm not going to be able to host the show anymore. And I was just like, oh my God, when does that begin? And he said today. And I, you know, it's like, but you know, what do we do? You have a rerun. Um, and that's when my boss brought me in and said, okay, well, you're going to start hosting the show. And I'm like, I'm not hosting the show. That's not my thing. And he said, yeah, you, you know, you work for us. We're doing it. Down, if you would like to continue to you know, collect a paycheck, this is your new role. So that's how that happened. But he did not give us any notice that that was going to be happening. He did a, um, he did a thing, like his uh, probably the dumbest stunt, there were many, was um, he told people that he had um, Robert Smith coming down um to the station it was robert smith and there was somebody there were like three people they were coming down well it was like robert smith an electrician that he just found a robert smith in the yellow pages and people had shown up and we're trying to tell them like we were out there telling people like this isn't happening and then they didn't believe us because there were hundreds of people outside and there was almost a riot in our parking lot And so someone filed a complaint with the FCC. I was on a six month probation because of that. It was, it it was unpleasant, but he brought me some really delicious strawberries for my birthday right after that. And I almost forgave him, but that was, uh, it was not easy working with him.
1: I'm trying to think who else has caused as many near riots as poor man. I mean, really. (laughs)
2: Yeah. I remember the stunt that got him fired from K-Rock was, pretty crazy mm-hmm. he he sent he sent a whole bunch of listeners to bean's house
1: that's
3: right i
2: was listening to both actual shows i listened to when michael the maintenance man went over woke up poor man
4: mm-hmm. which
2: caused him to do the retaliation on on Bean during love line and uh yeah poor man was just a nut it
4: was it was bad we had a, a lot of very nice moments but a lot of very frustrating just like oh god i i can't Do this. So that was hard because I worked at K Rock when that was all happening. So it was a very difficult time.
1: Did you hear Poor Man call in on Bean's last day?
4: I did. I did.
1: He's still the same poor man.
4: (laughs) Yeah, he's he he is. It's you know, that is a um I, I always have hoped that there would be some sort of reconciliation, but I don't know that that is ever going to happen.
2: So um I have a clip of Kevin and Bean hosting. Request video.
0: Hi, random KDOC view- viewers. I'm Kevin, and this is being in this request video. We can't be on already. We didn't have makeup. We didn't have any kind of a big pre-show meeting. We don't know what we're doing. Show you your gum. It's my gum. I pulled it out. I, th- I understand it's rude to chew gum on TV. But let's start off the show by taking a phone call. Can we do that? Line five. A random unsolicited phone call. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, are you there, caller? Oh, good, I can't believe I'm on. Can we hear him? We can't hear him. It's not working. <laughs> this always goes well when we try whoa, these. phones. Line five. Are you there? Try it again. Yeah, Kevin a Bean. Is it on? Kevin? Yes? yes, it's Kevin and me. Well, I can't believe I'm actually on, dude. Yeah, what can we do for you? Oh man, I think you guys are the, the greatest single force for good in the Western world today. Oh, I don't feel like you have to say that. <laughs> I mean, that's really nice of you, all, but that's not really necessary. Oh, you're phenomenal. Right, hold on one second, all right? So you're a big fan of the of the show? Oh, I'm huge, and I'm a total stranger. And I, I'm a complete random caller, man. Yeah, hold on one second. This do is this is me. so gratifying to get just a random viewer. Oh, you guys are wonderful. Right. Well, hang on, man. Give me the phone. <laughs> a Seriously, Actually, give me the phone. <laughs> Cause you're wasting the battery. Hey, See now. This is the comedy because it's Bean's phone. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you know, we probably don't need to do that anymore. Why? Because, right. let's face it, Kevin and Bean are here at KDOC. Not one single person showed up in the audience. We were starting to feel bad. Hey, you know what? We need to tell him about our hypnotist. He's going to be here in a minute. We're going to meet the amazing Tom Silver. Coming up here in a minute. We'll do some hypnotism. Plenty of great videos. This picture, The Great Tree, we're going to play. Is that the leadoff video here, Claude? Yeah. This is for our pal Jeff in L.A. We'll be right back. Give me this. I can't trust As
1: smooth as ever.
2: Right. So no one showed up for their, their thing. Was that normal for Kevin and Bean at that time?
4: No, no, that was actually really surprising to me because people showed up for everything. Um, So I don't, I, yeah, I don't know what, what happened there. And what's funny is when uh, just, you know, to back up for half a second. So when he asked about Claudia, it was funny because like our four managers and Claudia, like really a lot of Claudia um, they almost became like secondary characters to the show because we interacted so much with our cameramen and, and, and a lot of stuff with Claudia Draeger, who is still like, she actually just stayed at my house like two months ago. That um, was such a family for us, but um, yeah, that was weird that nobody had shown up for them. Those guys were just such a joy to have around and I wish they had them been banned. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you said people showed up for everything yeah. and then kevin and bean came crickets, oh, so crickets. They, they still deliberately stayed away poor kevin
2: and bean
4: <laughs> uh we'll just play poor man
2: so what's going on with you now gia what are um, you working on now
4: so i'm working on this other project right so there was a documentary that was happening, and I was like, "Yeah, we're gonna put on a back burner." And now maybe it's happening again because, really, the stories, those behind-the-scenes stories that we're just like kind of barely touching on right now, are they're great, and there's a lot of um, a lot of heart to what it was we were doing. Um, and again, like those huge artists that were a part of this thing, right? And who wanted to be a part of it, which is even more remarkable to me. Um, so, you know, continuing to do some of that stuff. I've, I've been a guest on, or a, a contributor, I suppose, to, um, there's a show on Access TV called Music's Greatest Mysteries. And again, it goes back to Matt Pinfield is doing that Cat Corbett um, uh God, who else? Lindsay Parker. So just, you know, some friends. Ronnie Barnett from The Muffs, who I met through Request Video. Like, So many of my best friends are um, from that show, the, the father of my children because of Request Video. I just, you know, I've contributed to a couple of books. I was most recently the music director and on-air talent. I did Afternoon Drive for Nevada Public Radio. I was a music director for Nevada Public Radio, the NPR music station. Um, I contributed to NPR music and stuff. So that, that's what gave me um, a lot of joy for the last few years. But right now, just trying to stay out of the smoky air. Split my time between Northern Nevada and Los Angeles. As As we have all met, like via the Facebook, Kevin and Bean Social Club. Is
3: that right? That's how we got you?
4: Yeah. Yeah.
3: So what's it like being part of that?
4: Uh, The Kevin and Bean Social Club? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, You know, I'm not super active. Like I was, Lightning had invited me and which of course, you know, to do that, it's, you know, it's fun because it's when there's something like request video thing that will show up and that somebody will share through that, it's nice to interact with people like Tammy, Heidi, and I will interact with, um, people together, people together at last, um, you know, doing that kind of stuff, but it's fun reading about things because I would moved away. And so I listened, they were, when they were syndicated, and they were up here, I could listen, but then I wasn't listening regularly for the last few years. It was just when I was in LA and, and I wasn't tuning in so much. Cause again, I was, you know, raising my kids and driving to school and doing all of those things. I was being, I was just raising good citizens. Um, so I, find that through Kevin and Bean Social Club, there are bits that I learn about that I'll go back and, you know, try to track down information about it and stuff. I think that that is a great Facebook group.
3: Oh, I love doing that too. When they ask one thing and then I feel like I'm like on my detective mode and I have to figure out what exactly they're talking about. Um, Can you talk about what it was like, like being a fan or a listener of Kevin and Bean with the, like the insider knowledge you have? And do you have any kind of like favorite Kevin
4: and Bean show memories? Oh God, you guys, that, that one is hard because I, when I first started at K-Rock, I was doing overnights and and they would come in. So I just, you know, there was a little bit of crosstalk and stuff. It's hard to say that I have a lot of Kevin and Bean show memories for that because there weren't the same bits, like it was back when, um, when, you know, Mark Davis was doing some bits and stuff and it's, that one's hard. I can't say that I've got a favorite memory. I just, cause I just love them. Like I love them as people and, and being there's this band, Margo and the nuclear so-and-sos that, that being loves this Richard Edwards is the songwriter. And so you know, just having those relationships with them that are outside of the show are the things I value so much. That's, I, which I maybe it sounds hokey. I don't want to sound hokey and weird about that, but it's to have the relationship that isn't because of the show is, is cool. Because I connected Bean to write the liner notes for this box set for Margo and the Nuclear So-and-Sos. Like having those relationships are the ones that are that are meaningful to me because it isn't a, it's not public. So that's, and, and I really don't want it to sound hokey or pretentious. Oh God, I don't want it to sound pretentious at all. Not at all. Um, but yeah, it no, really no, no. is that like that, that stuff's really meaningful to me. Oh, that reminds
1: me were other of uh, the famous DJs from K-Rock on the show, like maybe Jeb the Fish, Rodney on the Rock, anybody else from the old days? Did you all interact them. with them?
4: All of them. Oh, Actually, nice.
1: Tell us a Rodney story.
4: Rodney. Rodney, um, here's here's my one of my favorite Rodney stories about being on the show. Uh, Rodney canceled um, one day because he ran out of his his shampoo um, that he needed for his hair, his special shampoo. So we had to get a fill-in right away because he wasn't gonna be able to make it because he didn't have his shampoo. Like a stiff wind would show up, you know, come up and I'd be like, oh, my God, hold Rodney down because he's going to get blown away. Um, Rodney was so much fun to have down there. Jed is uh, first time Jed hosted the show. We were at the L.A. County Fair. And so he was doing a week's worth. This was before we were doing the live stuff. And he was doing a week's worth of wraparounds, intros to the videos. And it was, and it was back when he was using heroin, back to heroin, because that's what I'm going to talk about. Um, and it was, and, you know, he, I, I, I can talk about this because I know he wouldn't have any qualms about me talking about it, but I will never forget being you know, 24 years old. I had my little, um, you know, my, my clipboard, my notes, and Jed was in a porta potty at the LA County fair. And I knew he was shooting up and I was going to save his life. I was the one pounding on the door. Like, we need you to come out now, Jed, because we're losing light and we need to to do this. And I was like, yeah, I'll be out there in a minute. And, and, you know, we've talked about it since, because I thought for sure by me telling him, oh, we're losing light, we have to do this, that somehow I was going to bring about his sobriety which you know he did, of course, get sober. But um, Jed the fish is my children's crazy uncle Jed. They we've all stayed at his house because he lives very near the um, route for the uh, Rose Parade. So I was able, you know, to take my kids out there to do that stuff. And Jed, his dog Alice. Actually, it's in Jed's will that if anything were to happen to him, I get his dog Alice. So Jed and Freddie and um, and Sluggo, Tanny, you know Rachel, Dusty, and Richard and I are still in touch. It was a little, like at first I was thinking, oh god, Richard's going to hate me. But you know, we worked together, and um, it was good. I I have great relationships with all of those people, and the crazy thing about that, y'all, is that I was when I was a kid growing up listening to K Rock the fact that I ended up working with these people is still mind boggling to me. Like junior high, high school, like listening to my idols and then working with my idols and then staying with them is, and, and, you know, my kids talking to them regularly, that's fucking weird and awesome. Pardon my salty language. How dare you? <laughs> okay, well, we don't have that,
1: but just being on the social club page, you know, sometimes like Lisa will may will comment on something we said and we're like, wait, why? So I, we, it's not as good as actually knowing them like you do. But yeah, it's amazing that these days you can actually interact with these people you're huge fans of.
4: Yeah, it's really it's it, it is lovely. And that is and, and you know, going back to Request video, that was one of the beautiful things about having people come in to the studio is that it was such a small setting is that people got to meet their idols and have these experiences and watching live shows. There were never more than 50 people in in an audience. I think it was usually about 40 people. So it's like, you know, getting a private show with Alison Moyer or Peter Murphy or social distortion when there's hardly anybody there. That's cool.
1: How did you choose who would get to come into the studio to watch?
4: Um, it, you know, usually it was just like a giveaway kind of thing, like be the, you know, seventh caller kind of thing or, um, or the, you know, sometimes we do like a more creative sort of contest kind of thing. There was a, uh, when you were asking earlier about what is UHF, Weird Al did a, a film called UHF that was... <sighs> so bad, but it was essentially, it may as well have been about KDOC and they had a thing in there that was a promotion called the wheel of fish. And so we actually had the wheel of fish in our studio as part of a promotion that we did with the um, film company. And so there were things like the giveaways, you know, on the wheel of fish of, you know, okay. You know, choose this Wheel and you can come down and you know see drama rama play live so that's how we did the the things
1: did you have weird all weird al on the show ever we did all right
4: yeah um and it was it would have been uh when poor man was doing so i want to say it was 88
1: do you remember what and, well and it
4: was because it was in support of the film of uhf because oh, we oh, did a I whole big promotion. That's a
1: great that. show, by the way, a great movie.
4: Yeah, it was, oh God, it was I think it just, maybe you're
1: home. too close to it. <laughs> like, yeah, it was movie. just
4: a little too close to home.
1: <laughs> were you interviewed for the K-Rock documentary they made?
4: I was told I would be interviewed. And it's funny. Cause I had lunch with a whole bunch. Of, it was uh, me, Jed, Sligo, Rick Rippy, and uh, Nate Adams, who's directing it. And we were all at lunch one day and he was saying, Okay, well, you know, I'm calling you next week for the interview, da, 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 and I never heard from him. But neither was Darcy Fulmer, um, Darcy Sanders, at the time. I, Darcy wasn't, which was that was crazy because she was the music director for the station. She really should have been interviewed for that. So that was that was wild. That you know, forget me because I was a part-time employee. Darcy Darcy has stories. All right. Yeah. Well, I, and Jay was at that lunch too, actually. I, I love, I love lightning. He's mm-hmm. awesome. Talk actually,
1: about I, stories. Who would have better I, stories than Jay? I know,
4: right. I also want to know about your art that's in your background. Cause it, it looks really cool. Oh, that's so I, when I was at Capitol the second time was it first time, second time. First time, first time, Um, because I was there a few times. So I was Pavement's um, product manager and Pavement was fair. So I did the stuff for Maverick Records because we had a distribution deal with them at Capital. So there was a lot of Pavement stuff, but this over here, the... The stand up. Um, not a ton of those were made. And it was for the album, Shade, um, uh, Bright in the Corners. So that's a Shady Lane stand up that was for the record stores, but I got one because I was the product manager. So that's what that is. And then Southern Pavement poster, Death Cab, and then the Panther. My grandmother, who is long gone, painted that. There's clown painting back there, just because I have friends who hate clowns, so I always, yeah, you know, throw that back there. So I've got, you know, I've got some like, gold records and stuff floating around from my old office. But yeah, that's that's the art. It's, you know, I, I'm nothing without my art, kind of floating around. But that's what that stuff is. Is is mostly for the, um, it's mostly pavement stuff. That is super cool. Thank you again. That's one of those things where you know, kind of being afraid of meeting your idols and, or, you know, being such a huge fan of someone or something and then meeting people who create it. And, um, I was just a huge pavement fan. And, and I, I can say that I'm still in touch with Bob Mistanovich. Um, but those guys, that was awesome. And Alison Moyer, I remember being terrified of meeting Alison Moyer and, um, which I think somebody said that the, that her laugh for Yaz for, was it for, uh, I can't think of the name of the song all of a sudden. Anyway, that, that her laugh, the giggle, the the beginning of the Yaz song, um, is like the most sampled like laugh out of anything, um, ever. So she was incredible. She was just like uh, uh, that, that was like the most wonderful surprise for me was just how wonderful she was. Cause I thought maybe she would be kind of big for her britches, but she was not, she was perfect.
1: Was, wasn't pavement name checked on the Larry Sanders show once. Oh God. I mean,
4: maybe. Janine
1: Garofalo's character says, I just want to date someone in a band like pavement. Um, Am I remembering that right?
4: Oh, that would be, that would be so Janine Garofalo. You guys want to know my dream Janine Garofalo oh, Totally.
2: Part? I love her. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs>
4: It's so it's just I, it's kind of bad, because I think she's sober now. but um, because I will always have a story with someone who wasn't sober. I um, you know, I just I was at Buffalo Tom show with the baby daddy and um and his really good friend, who was good friends with Janine Garofalo. and we were at the palace. And Janine may have had a little too much to drink. So I was sitting on the floor with Janine Groffalo's head in my lap while she was sleeping and Buffalo Tom was playing and people just kept coming by saying, oh my God, that's Janine Groffalo. And I was shooing them away and I was you know, petting her hair. And she would not know me if I came up to her and spit it on her shoe and told her like, hey, I totally saved you from people tripping over you. <laughs> maybe- a little too drunk so yeah that's my Janine garofalo story i may have a story for everything
1: another story about Janine garofalo's head in your lap and people <laughs> over you. if we've heard facing one outward. we've heard a thousand
4: facing outward <laughs> that time
2: all
1: right i want to hear all your stories that start with this person is sober now but
4: <laughs> that's a that's a book
1: that's the title of a book
4: <laughs> right
1: <laughs> i read the forward for it
4: that's actually a great idea
2: so um well we thank you for spending the time to chat with us. Um, this is amazing, you know, when you're talking mm-hmm. about meeting your heroes, I was that way when uh when you were coming on. It was just amazing to see you reply to my comment cuz you know, it was a big show for me. It was a very important show for me growing up. Um
4: you very kind. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Oh, no.
2: no, thank you for being here and thank and Thank you so just,
1: much for coming on. This has been fantastic.
2: Yeah, yeah. just like you said, uh, don't be afraid to meet your heroes it, and, you know, with you coming on, I'm just so, I'm I'm over here just excited. You know, <laughs> just blown away. So, is there anything um, that you want to maybe promote or say yeah. so that uh, listeners can get in touch with you or anything you want?
4: If you go to requestvideotv.com, um, there will probably be updates about any sort of new news. If we are you know, going to have some new news about whatever this project is for a documentary. Um, but other than that, just, if anybody can follow the Request Video Facebook page, that would be super cool because okay. we'll post some you know, clips there. And uh, actually follow Facebook page, not the website, go to request videos, Facebook page and, and follow that and share stories because I love hearing the stories, little anecdotes about, what you guys remember because it jogs my memory and that's always super fun. And if anybody has the NWA show, Oh my God, please, please, please. Kevin Stockdale, get on it.
1: Yeah. Fans send in stuff all the time. Like, They would send in stuff to Kevin and Bean that they had forgotten about. So I bet you'll get that one of these days.
4: I hope so.
2: And then you're on um, History's Mystery, um, Music's Uh, Greatest Mysteries.
4: Music's (laughs) Greatest Mysteries on Axis TV with many familiar faces. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's a very cool show. I was watching that. Awesome. Oh,
4: cool. Thanks. Thank, you, Thank again you for being
2: with us. And it was awesome uh, just Thank talking you to you. Thank you. It
1: was a
4: pleasure. Yay. Thank Thanks, you yeah. guys. It was such a pleasure to meet all of you. I'm honored that you wanted to do this.